Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast for episode 34. Uh, I'm David Law. I work for BBC Radio 5 Live and I'm here in Miami, supposedly sunny Miami, which I can tell you is overcast and it has been raining a few few days this week so far since I've been here. Uh, Catherine Whitaker is the other side of the Atlantic. Catherine, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good, but good. I won't stand for any more complaints about the weather over there. Why? What's it like over there? Grim. It's absolutely grim so the less said about it the better oh excellent i feel better already (laughs) uh so well let's talk about the tennis week that we've had and 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 many other things to do with tennis as well we have an interview with sloan stevens which i initially did in australia for bbc radio 5 live and which we will uh we will play for you today in episode 34 of the tennis podcast uh fascinating to to talk to one of the young up-and-coming players in sloan stevens somebody who clearly has a a big future ahead uh we record Recorded it shortly before her her win against Serena Williams, but you could tell then that that this was a player that is is going places. I, I think she's been talked about a lot already, and uh, and she's she is really engaging. We have uh, a conversation to cover time machine tennis which uh, we put out on twitter for you all and that asks you to step into a time machine and go back to any point in history and tell us the match you would like to have been courtside for and why so we've come up with a few of our own as well and we'll be talking about the indian wells tournament that has just gone the bnp paribas open which was of course won by rafael nadal and we'll be previewing the miami tournament the sony open here where i'm reporting on what goes on here we've had a few withdrawals but uh, there's still plenty of good players in the draw and it's going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds. Where, where were you last week, Catherine? You were, you were at an ATB Champions Tour event, weren't you? I was in Stockholm where it was a delightful minus 15 degrees most days. Um, beautiful city though, wonderful. If you can see through the, the ice in the air, then it is, uh, it's a beautiful city. Pretty, pretty good matches as well, weren't there? Because you had um, a final of Stefan Edberg against John McEnroe. Cool, that's a purist's dream, isn't it? Purist dream in terms of style of play and, you know, an absolute lesson in serve, serve and volley. But also in terms of, I mean, they're probably the two most competitive players players still 
um, on the Champions Tour. So, I mean, when I say it was heated, I really mean it. You know, we're talking driving passing shots at the man at the net and, and that sort of thing. I mean, it was... Uh, it, it was they were definitely playing for something pride i suppose but um superb that's it great. was it was fantastic it was it was quite special to um to be there for yeah absolutely on the subject of driving passing shots through opponents i was watching andy murray practice with one monaco on the court in miami yesterday ivan lendl watching on and uh, monaco smashed this forehand right into the chest of murray and Lendl thought it was fantastic. He, he oh, clearly really? enjoyed that enormously. Oh, gosh. See, somebody did that to me the other day. I went to a, a play-in at a tennis club. It did not end well. Um, and during the, um, during the sort of knocking up portion where they're coming around and assessing your ability, it's like being back at school, they, they, they said in the opening opening chat, you know, don't you're not trying to win points here. We want you to keep the rallies going as long as possible because, you know, we want to assess your skill and everything. The bloke's just drive, driving forehands straight at me. I got hit three different times. Three times I got hit. All's fair in, not in on. competition, not on. Catherine. But it wasn't a competition. Well, you know... <laughs> <laughs> You're not happy, it are you? Was, it was a traumatising experience. <laughs> oh, dear. That's what it was. I'm sorry. Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> where are these men? I'll have a word. Uh, anyway, um, India Wells has come and gone since we last spoke a couple of weeks ago. It was a great tournament, wasn't it? I mean, that tournament is seriously investing. Um, I mean, Larry Ellison has the uh, the resources to do so, doesn't he? I mean, fifth richest man in the world, we're told, uh, and he wow. had all the players out there with uh, with their with their sort of tools ready to start building the next court that he's about to to, to unveil in the next couple of years. And yeah. he had Rafael Nadal staying is, with him. Oh yes, he had Rafael Nadal staying in his house, <laughs> and uh, and Nadal sort of hurtles across the court to 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 give a big handshake to Larry Ellison, which I think is a quite a smart move, I have to say. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's no smarter move than. Uh, than being on good terms with the tournament director, which it seems that Rafa is without doubt. I mean, I'm not sure how smart a move it is for the tournament director, but I think if you're the fifth richest man in the world, you can pretty much do what you like. Can't yeah, you, you can so get away with anything, can't you? the world works. And in terms of the actual tennis, I mean, Nadal, I, I think that um, when we saw that he was going to play Indian Wells, I think the world took a bit of a sharp intake of breath, didn't they, and thought... Rafa, do you really need to be doing this? Mm. You've just won two back-to-back clay court events. Mm. You've got the clay court season coming up. What are you doing? What What is there to gain mm. from from playing this event? Um, he's my he's sharp gone and won it. Breath, my sharp in, intake and breath of breath was recorded on the last tennis podcast, wasn't it? I was saying how how nervous I felt, but um, what a fool I was. He's proved us all wrong. Well, I mean, he uh, looked he, he looked as good as ever, Catherine, didn't he? I mean, he beat Roger Federer. Yeah, I know did. I know Federer was injured. He had a back problem and he wasn't at his yeah. best. No, he, I mean, come on. He was inhibited. But, uh, but the fact inhibited, is... But, I mean, Rafa is permanently inhibited, isn't he? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's really... I mean, if you're out on the court, then you're fit to play. 
Oh, she's hard work, isn't she, Catherine? She's a taskmaster. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Oh dear. Sorry, Roger. You, you're fit to play if you're on the court. And, well, and, to be f- I, and I'm quite sure he would say the same as well. He, well, he did I mean, actually. He to is be a fair, great he, sportsman. He, he didn't make any excuses afterwards. Um, but and, uh, and I also feel that if he'd been 100 percent fit, it still would have been a Rafa victory in straight sets. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, that having been said, of course, on our Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com uh, forward slash the tennis podcast, Catherine, uh, and we like to do our sort of daily predictions at these of these big events, and Catherine um, put out a prediction that Rafa would win in two, and lo and behold, he did. Somebody mentioned something about Federer winning in three I, I mm. but that didn't seem to happen um, mm. but anyway uh, I redeemed myself enormously uh, with the fact that uh, one Martin Del Potro and Caroline Wozniacki both no, reached no, no, the no, final no, 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 no. which is you exactly Grand Slam final well yeah but this is the, like the fifth slam isn't no, it so no, effectively no. it's a Masters 1000 event no it's the, it's I, the fifth I, slam I said I, I've not doubted that they can do it on on the lower stages but Lower stages. Every player in the world was there. But it, it's not a Grand Slam. Well, you know, it's a, I mean, all right, it's a stepping a cap- stone. It's a stepping stone. And, yeah, and it was it's, me it's, who said well, that I Del mean, Potro and Wozniacki would reach the final of Slam. You predicted that they slams. would reach the final of a stepping stone event. You predicted they'd reach the final of a Slam. So let's revisit this when they've reached the final of a Slam. Well, Being beaten 2-2 two and two by Sharapova in the, in the final of a Masters 1000 is not reaching the final of a Slam. Well, I'm on my way. I tell you, poor old Caroline. Honestly, she gets to the final. Does she get any credit? No. Uh, however, one well, Martin. She, she can have she can have credit for getting to the final of a master series, but she cannot have credit for getting to the final of a slam. Okay. She can have she can have all the all the credit she deserves. Okay. Uh, one Martin Del Potro defeated uh, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic back to back, which. I have to say, I did not see that coming. I, I watched the um, I watched the match with Murray, and and it was a very close first set, a set that I thought Del Potro might just squeak out. But once he'd lost that, and Murray was starting to win the sort of tactical battle in the match in that first set, I thought it was over. I really couldn't see that turning around at all, and I went to bed. <laughs> I went to bed. Well, that's and I, I woke, the kiss of death. I woke up and there, there was, uh, there was the sort of scoreline, and, and Del Potro thrashed him in the third set. Well, I have to say, I was feeling the same in that second set. I really, I, I could not have foreseen what was to happen in that third set, and um, I can't give enough credit to to Del Potro for doing that. And I, it was on, was it not on consecutive days that he beat? Djokovic and Murray, is that correct? It was, yeah, absolutely. Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And, and then he comes well, out and he runs Nadal close something. on Sunday as well. Yeah, that's quite something. And and he really had a good stab at that final and, and wasn't far away. So, um, no, that that was a huge week for Del Potro. Not quite as big a week as it was for Rafa, but no doubt that was, you know, that that's a big story in tennis, Him him having a run like that. Yeah, and also great news that uh, a couple of days later, a uh, very timely release, uh, uh, well, I would say that, seeing as I was the one who made it, uh, the announcement that Raf- that Juan Martín del Potro will play at the Aegon Championships at uh, the Queen's Club, uh, joining Thomas Burditch and Andy Murray in that field, which is uh, growing very nicely indeed, and all those players are, are playing their way into the form, um, so they'll be on the grass at the Queen's Club the 10th to the 16th of June. 
So a couple of uh, bits of information we want to give out on the tennis podcast this week involving a tennis player, which is Ross Hutchins, who of course is uh, taking part in the rally against cancer at the Aegon Championships on the 16th of June on finals day. He's also joining Alex Kay, one of our colleagues in the media uh, from the Daily Mail. Alex is hosting an evening of sport at the Lion and Unicorn Theatre with uh, Martin Keown, the Arsenal and England defender uh, of the past Joanna Rousel MBE the Olympic cycling gold medalist and the British tennis player Ross Hutchins who we've uh, featured here on the tennis podcast that's going to take place on Monday the 25th of March and if you'd like to be in the audience for that evening of sport you can do so tickets are 15 pounds and you can book those on ticket web so that's uh, yeah it does doesn't it can we go Well, I, do you know what? I saw Martin Keown on the tube the other day. Did you? Just have to mention that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah it's not often Martin Keown comes up in conversation, but since he has, I'll mention that I saw him on the tube the other did day. Did you try and sign him up for Reading Football Club? I don't know. We, we, he'd probably make the team, despite yeah. being about 46 years old. You, you, you <laughs> he'd need, probably start. You need a manager as well, don't you? <laughs> uh, I, I'm still mourning that. the loss of the last one. I'm not ready for a new one okay, yet. Um, yeah, but... I, I, haven't t- I haven't taken the picture of Brian down from my wall oh, yet. Oh, dear. <laughs> we'll, put, we'll put that behind <laughs> us. Anyway, so that's an evening of sport with Alex Kay, Martin Keown, uh, Joanna Rousel, MBE, and Ross Hutchins. So that's the 25th of March, so get your tickets. Uh, anyway, what else have we got to talk about? out uh we have uh, i had a lovely email uh, or twitter message the other day catherine from uh, from one of our uh, contributors who said that um, he was in a doctor's waiting room when uh, when he pressed the wrong button on his iphone and mats valander suddenly came out saying hi this is mats valander you're listening to the tennis podcast and uh, there was complete silence in the room at the time and um yeah i guess i guess we've got about another eight listeners out of that of people who were listening along and thinking yeah I'm up for that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's the most positive possible way of looking at that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Either that or, or he got thrown out of the uh, the doctor's waiting room well, for, exactly. yes. for just uh, interrupting everybody's peace and quiet. <laughs> um, the Miami tournament starts uh, or started yesterday, as we were saying earlier. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting one, isn't it, Catherine? Because it really is difficult to follow up back-to-back events, isn't it? Indian Wells and Miami. It is, especially without Federer and Nadal. Uh, I, I noticed that, that Nadal's um, withdrawal from Miami was announced during the final of Indian Wells, which is a, a tad bizarre, I would say. Um, it is a bit, yeah, but I mean, that came from the tournament here themselves. And, yes, um, yes. You know, I, I, half of me wonders whether they were just trying to sort of bury the bad news a little bit. Uh, another, yes. another one might be that they wanted to make a small statement um, about the fact that, that the withdrawal was taking place mm-hmm. when he was clearly running around like crazy on the court. But, I mean, the fact is, you know, Rafa explained himself afterwards and said... I can't. I can't just keep doing this every single week straight after a a seven month layoff for for knee injuries. You know, it's 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 nothing personal. I'd love to play in Miami, but I I've got to take a a break sometime. And and really, it's yeah. it's not that much of a surprise. No, I I agree, and um, I think he's perfectly within his rights and uh, to do that. And I, I he's clearly making the right dis- decision for him. However, I would say by the ATP allowing him to do that you know not with a a discernible injury that is actually preventing him from playing that is an admission that um that it's not 
physically sustainable, isn't it, to, to, to play at the level that they are required to play? Don't you think by, by allowing Rafa to, to pick and choose a bit, I, I believe he doesn't qualify under the same rules that, that Federer qualifies for that, on, on, on the basis on which he's, he's taking his break from the sport. Is that not an admission that, that surface-wise and schedule-wise... It's unsustainable for a well, lot of players. Well, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think so because I mean, you know, not everybody's going to do what Nadal does and win every week. He won th- two tournaments in a row. He reached the final of the third. Then he won Indian Wells, and and also that's not to say that he hasn't been penalised for this. Um, okay, he's decided not to play, but uh, but equally, Serena Williams and Venus Williams don't play Indian Wells, and every time they don't play, they get penalised. Um, you know, they get some sort of fine. So, you know, I, 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 I think that, um, yes, there is that, uh, that exemption for, for, for Federer because of his longevity, because of the amount of matches he's played and, and so forth, that he doesn't have to play Miami and he doesn't get any penalty for it. But I kind of think that with Nadal's situation on a public relations front and on a, on a sort of, you know, just on a feeling of, of what's fair, I think it's completely fair enough that he's not playing. Oh, and I, I think, I you agree. know, you can't I, compare his situation to others because he has been out for seven months. No, but you, but you have to set a precedent and you have to have principles. I agree that it is the right decision, but the fact that they're having to break their own rules or, or whatever they're doing or fine him for that decision, it, it, that doesn't feel quite quite right so me. do you think that the, that the rules should should be that he doesn't have to play uh every, every event or have that sort of, i mean all all players have to have that sort of commitment it, it's possible it's possible perhaps they should have the, the rule that um roger federer has been uh, eligible to to exploit and take some time off perhaps that should be a, a tiered system where yes if you've played i think it was 600 matches wasn't it you you can take so much time off but if you've played 400 then you're allowed to 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 miss one or two um obligatory tournaments per year you know perhaps something on a tiered scale like that so as you say you know the ones that do win every week so the more you win and therefore the more matches you play the the more you're able to extend your career by exempting yourself from the odd tournament here and there and being more strategic with your schedule how about that for a, a solution I don't know. What do you think, uh, listeners? What 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 should we do with the uh, the Masters One Thousand events? Should they be compulsory for all players? What should the fines be? What should the uh, the should there be ranking points penalties if if they don't play? I think by and large, you know, the turnout for these events is is really good, um, and I think Miami and Paris suffer because they're straight off the back of other tournaments of that ilk. Um, and, uh, and that's just one of those things. But um, it's an interesting talking point and one which will uh, continue to keep us busy, no doubt. In terms of the actual draw, I, I think I think Murray is probably going to come out and do quite well here. He's got a, a pretty tricky first round. He might have to play Bernard Tomic. Uh, but I suspect being based out here, he's got an apartment. He, he spends a lot of time here in Miami. I think he might do quite well here. He reached the final last year, of course. Um, I agree. I, I, I took a look at the draw before we uh, started recording and uh, I, f- I feel confident that he, he really ought to be making the final and, and probably will make the final. Um, 
Djokovic is the one with the difficult draw because Del Potro's in his half. So uh, that's that's the spanner in his works, I would say. And it, it would Potro take a monumental effort for for Del Potro to weeks. to be to be fully fresh and fit, wouldn't it? Though after what he's it just would. gone through, it would. But he'll be full of belief, and and that can compensate for a, a great deal. So that would be fantastic to see. But I I'm predicting a Djokovic Murray final. I think. Yeah, yeah, go. I think I think I, I probably share that view, um, and I would still say that I think Djokovic would be the favourite if they got there, though, don't you? Uh, well, he's world number one, isn't he? But you know, as you say about Murray being supremely comfortable in the surroundings and the conditions in in Miami, I, uh, that could be a factor. You know, if it was a stinking hot, humid day, I think. That a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. That would be in Murray's favour, for example, I, I... Probably, on balance, he would be the favourite, but there's a lot of factors which could sort of tip the balance the other way. Okay, well, we'll see. It's going to be interesting, and I'll be here uh, covering it on BBC Radio. Hopefully, do some commentary on Sports Extra as well, if I can get the machine to work. Um, But, um, no, it's uh, it's always uh, an interesting tournament, and many of the best players in the world here as well. So, why don't we talk to one of the players who is in this draw. Young Sloane Stephens has turned 20 today, would you believe, Catherine? And that means that Laura Robson is now the highest-ranked uh, teenager in the world. But uh, she's ranked behind Sloane Stephens, who's beaten Robson a couple of times this year in Brisbane and in Melbourne at the Australian Open. She's also played Serena Williams a couple of times and beat her once so memorably, of course, at the Australian Open. And I spoke to her a couple of days before that match against Serena Williams uh, in Melbourne earlier this year for BBC Radio and she was quite fascinating with Sloane Stephens about how her career is progressing. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I'm getting better and just improving and just loving being out there. I haven't played for a while, so it's good to just kind of get some wins in here and last week and the week before. So I'm playing with confidence and enjoying myself and, you know, hopefully just keep the momentum going and, you know, just keep playing well and having fun. What is it like being a young player when there are so many established American players out there, particularly Serena and Venus? I mean, do, do you know them very well? Do you, do you get to, to sort of pick their brains at all? Um, yeah, I think being young is, I mean, being young is fun. It's a good thing, I think. Um, but, yeah, definitely, I see them all the time. And um, it's good to just be in their presence. I mean, they're obviously two of the greatest players to ever play the game of tennis. So, obviously, it's really good just to be around them and to see them all the time and just to see how professional they are and how amazing and their work ethic is, like, un unbelievable. So it's just it's a good environment to be in and, you know, to be around so many great professionals and people who have accomplished so much. It's just it's really nice. I was watching some video footage uh, a couple of weeks ago of, of them when they were young kids, much younger than you are now, and they were there with their father hitting tennis balls, and he was saying, listen, they're going to win slams, even, yeah. even when they were kids. What, what do they say to you? Obviously, you're, you're older than they were then, but what do they say to you now about developing as a player? What sort of advice do you get? Um, really, we just we keep it simple. Um, no real tennis talk, just life talk. We're friends, and you know, they just we all want the best for each other. And I think you know we've been we've had a good relationship, and we kept that really good. So I think that that's just something that we want to keep, and you know, keep tennis to the side a little bit. And of course, you took to the court yourself with Serena a couple of weeks ago in Brisbane, and, and acquitted yourself well. What what was that experience like? Um, it was really fun. It was great. I mean, obviously being on the court with one of the greatest players to ever play the game and someone who's been so dominant is really, I mean, it was a great feeling and it was really fun. I, I had a good time and I think it was a good match and everyone in Brisbane enjoyed it. So I think, um, you know, it was fun and definitely a learning experience and um, I'd love to do it again. Another player I saw you come up against last week was Laura Robson, who in, obviously in Great Britain, she's one of the players that we talk about a lot and are looking to for the future. Do you know her at all? What, what do you know about her? Yeah, me and Laura went to the same academy in Florida for a while, and I've known Laura since we were probably like, 11 or 12 and so my mom and Laura's mom are really good friends so they email back and forth all the time and yeah I've now I mean I see Laura all the time we warmed up this morning and um yeah I see her all the time we're pretty good friends but it's just so it's nice to come up with someone and um no being known her for since she was so little and I was little it's nice to see us now winning rounds in Grand Slam so it's it's fun and is it possible to stay friends when obviously the nature of tennis is it's one-on-one, -on -one, isn't it? And you've got to take away almost from your opponent. That's just the nature of it. Yeah, definitely. It's very competitive. But when you go on the court, it's it's all business. And then when you get off the court, you can be friends and funs and all that, laughs and everything. But just when you, when you step on the court, it's all it's game time. So I think um, if you're able to separate that, it works out pretty well. What, what expectations do you have of yourself this year? Because, you know, obviously I'm sure you have high ambitions of your, for, for the future, but, but what do you want to achieve this year in 2013? Um, I just want to stay healthy and just enjoy myself. Obviously, I, I mean, front of the, I don't really have that many points to defend like through the front of the year. So just, you know, kind of just have fun and just, you know, do my best and enjoy myself. It's, um, it's obviously, this is my job, but it's something that I love to do. So hopefully I can just keep enjoying it and having a good time. So that's Sloane Stevens, Catherine, and she is a young lady who knows where she's going. That much is very clear. She has quite some composure, doesn't she, and a, and a self-assurance that is 
is almost disarming, um, but is also very, very engaging. And uh, I mean, what a what a fantastic interviewee! And um, seeing her um, seeing her rise in such a small space of time, you know, I I think I moderated all all of her press conferences throughout the Australian Open and and the number of people in them increased by an order of magnitude as each round went by and of course by the time she beat Serena there wasn't a spare seat in the room and um, it's funny I can't remember who it was and even if I could remember I probably shouldn't name them but uh, you know I, I came out of one of the press conferences I said you know gosh what a what a refreshingly natural and bubbly girl you know she's going to be great for the tour and whoever it was said questioned it and said oh I, I I think it's put on I think it's fake do you know what I really don't think it is I, I don't yeah, I don't know I the girl that well but she seems thoroughly natural yeah. and likable and um and she is going to be fantastic for the game without doubt whoever it was who said that really needs to just slightly take a step a back grump. and stop being a, so a, grumpy and a grumpy cynical. guts yeah yeah yeah, okay. I mean, I can be grumpy, but not that grumpy. No, you're not that grumpy. I mean, just just no. when I annoy you. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely. Sloane Stevens, I think, is is the real deal in terms of her personality, um, and I think she's. Uh, I think she is. I think she's great for the game, and I think um, she's going to be around for a long, long time. Um, and I tell you what, she moves so well. She hit. I mean, she was she was moving better than Serena in that match. I mean, I know Serena was a little inhibited, but. Uh, Sloane Stevens, uh, a woman who is going to go far in this sport and um, and has already been making waves. We asked you on Twitter uh, for your thoughts on time machine tennis. Now, what's time machine tennis? I suddenly thought to myself, just imagine if you could step into a, a time machine, Catherine, and go back to any point in history, anywhere in the world, and sit courtside for a match and relive it and just be on the front row. What What have you chosen? Well, I mean, the answers are obviously very similar to the answers of sort of what are the greatest matches of all time, which I think is a topic we've covered. So I can say all the obvious ones, 2001 Wimbledon final, 2008 Wimbledon final. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, I would love to have been there for the Sampras Ag- one of the Sampras Agassi um, US Open finals. All ones that people can probably imagine. I, I think... What I'd really love to do with that time machine is, uh, given that I've worked on the Champions Tour for so long and seen these guys play as as veterans, I would love to be able to go back and see and have seen them play in their pomp and, you know, winning the Grand Slam titles that I so often mention in my press releases and everything. And, and I, I, so often, I, for example, I, I interviewed Mats Verlander the other day about the 1988 uh, French Open final um, when he beat um, Henri Le Comte. And uh, before we started the interview, I said, oh, this is a few questions about the uh, 88 French Open final. And he squinted at me and he said, were you even born? And <laughs> and uh, I had to confess that I was two at the time, so clearly was not a particularly interested viewer Um so, you know, I'd like to be able to go back and, and watch a few of these matches that I bring up with these guys so often, you know, perhaps that Wimbledon final. I'd have loved to have seen the McEnroe-Lendl-Wimbledon uh, French Open final um, and also the Edberg-Chang French Open final. I think those would be oh, I remember uh, that some one of well. my picks. Yeah. 
Now uh, the the uh, the Edberg Chang one, and uh, that was Eight, coming a 89. few. That's right, coming a few rounds after, uh, of course, a few rounds after he played and beat Lendl, hitting yes. underarm serves and yes. standing on the service line to return, and uh, wonderful memories. Wonderful. I'll tell you what, Edberg confessed in Stockholm that that still keeps him up at night. Ooh, he is dear. a. He is a happy, contented man. You know, he. I don't think he has many regrets in life. But uh, it's, it's the one that Lendl, match still keeps him one, up at night. It's the one Grand Slam title he didn't win, isn't it? The French yes. Open. And that, of course, applies to Boris Becker and Pete Sampras and John yeah. McEnroe as well. Just shows how well Andre Agassi, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer have done to win all four, doesn't it? I mean, it's the ultimate. Absolutely. I mean, there's obviously, you know, Rod Laver also in that bracket, but it, it must be said that the, there wasn't the differences in surface that there, there were. I think the, the key is having, having, won, having won the Grand Slam titles on, on all the different surfaces is, is quite some achievement. What have our followers on Twitter been saying about their Time Machine tennis selections? Well, I've got a few few interactions here. I think you've got a few more. Um, somebody, Ewan McQueen, is picking out Murray versus Nalbandian in 2005. Uh, he says he was on holiday at the time, so he didn't catch it. One of only three Murray Grand Slam matches I've missed, which is quite an impressive record. That was, of course, I think Murray had beaten Stepanek in the first round, hadn't he? Um, he must have only been 17 or 18. And uh, didn't he go two sets to love up? against Nalbandian. Yes, and, I think he did. Uh, started he cramping did. and, you know, well, it was good for him in the long run, wasn't it? Because he knew he had to get physically stronger and fitter and everything. Uh, Shreyas Sardesai, many apologies if I've pronounced that wrongly, says Agassi Ivanizovic, Wimbledon 92. Um I don't think Goran would like to go back in a time machine and watch that very much. Um, and I think he'd Graf like to go Nova- back in a time machine and change a couple of yeah, his uh, decisions so, on yeah. the serves. Uh, and Graf Navratilova at Wimbledon, 88. Um, Lisa says, 1985 French Open final with Everett Navratilova. That rivalry would have been one that would have been I, I would have liked to have seen uh, yeah, I, mean, up, was, I think it was it was great hearing Sue Barker talk about that yes. rivalry wasn't it the other she week she really and, brought it to life yeah I mean how these two great champions went sort of for each other's throat on the court and yet now and and, and they're best they're best of friends it's it's incredible yeah really. um at M. Sandiastri says, 1988 Olympic Games, women's singles final. would be great to see Steffi Graf making history with her golden slam. Yeah, well, there's no absolutely. doubt that really was an, his- an historic moment. Um, and somebody else, Sophie Morgan says, Songa beating Rafa in Australia in 2008. I mean, I think that whole run of matches by Tsonga to get to the final. I mean, he it just he creates such an atmosphere whenever he steps onto a court, doesn't he? And all of his matches that year in Australia were were uh, quite something and it would have been a real pleasure to be there. Yeah, absolutely. It's um there's a couple of others here um, that uh, that have been mentioned. Uh, of course, the Henman Ivanizovic on the Friday night when those two were going at it um, in 2002, uh, 2001 rather. Uh, we have uh, Gerolitis Borg 
uh, from the 77 yeah. Wimbledon from Tim Symes. Uh, that's a good one. Jemmy uh, uh, Jemima J says uh, Safin against Federer in the Australian Open of oh, 2005. Yes. One we so often mention is one of the greatest matches of all time. That would be one of my picks too, I think. Yeah, yeah, we've got a Croxley Tennis Club, who's a follower on Twitter, at Tennis Podcast, who mentioned Jana Novotna's 1998 Wimbledon final. Oh. Goodness me. Oh, dear, when she cried Tears. on the shoulder. Tears. yeah. No, it was 93, of course, when she cried on the shoulder of Duchess of oh, York, and, and then she and followed up and won when she won, in 98. Yes, of course, and yeah. Put it all behind it all, her. And, uh, it all turned out okay in the end for Jana, didn't it? But, um, it did. She didn't know that was going to be the case in 93. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I like to uh, to separate these uh, into into different categories. For me, um, the the nineteen ninety one uh, U.S. Open is always going to be the one that I remember probably the most. Aaron Crickstein against mm-hmm. Jimmy Connors. I mean, that was just something else to behold, wasn't it? Uh, I mean. Uh, you wouldn't know too much about it because you were what five, but uh, but for me it was um, it was something that that got me into tennis that match. It, it, staying up in the middle of the night watching Connors go crazy and and uh, and really loses loses rag it seemed at the time, but he uh, but he wasn't. He was he was just orchestrating the situation, going through with the crowd. I mean, I'd, I'd love to, I'm looking forward to reading his book to, to find out what, what was going through his mind. But Nick Bolletieri, who was coaching Aaron Crickstein at the time, always says, you know, he, he screwed my guy out of that match. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh, Aaron Crickstein, of course, I'm sure he gets asked about that match more than anybody else. Five sets, just utter drama. And uh, it was like watching a film. It wasn't like watching a tennis match. You know, it was just the most extraordinary popcorn atmosphere. Tennis. Yeah, popcorn tennis. And I'm getting into that phrase now I'm out here in the United States. <laughs> um, I also I also look at atmospheres. And I think about Paul Harhouse against Tim Henman in the 1997 Wimbledon on that first yes. middle Sunday when uh, I think it was something like 14-12 in the fifth set and the crowd were mm. were clapping and chanting Henman's name and it was just it's just until until the Ivanisevich Rafter final which is the other one I've got down for atmospheres the Harhouse Henman one was the one that first sort of gave you goosebumps as a, as a Wimbledon watcher I think certainly uh, of, of something other than just good tennis and all mm. the rest of thing, things that Wimbledon has to offer it was a different kind of atmosphere altogether and you know that, that horrible phrase hen mania uh, was in <laughs> full flow <laughs> what about uh, what about historical matches Catherine imagine if you were sort of you mentioned being on the ATP Champions Tour imagine if you were courtside for Bjorn Borg against John McEnroe that in 1980. Do you know what, though? I'd, I'd almost rather be uh, witness McEnroe-Lendl close up, you know, and the, the spikiness of their their rivalry. I'd, or I'd McEnroe-Connors. Like, or McEnroe-Connors, exactly. I'd really yeah. like to have seen that close up. Um, yeah, and be close enough to hear the... Uh, the sledging at the change of ends and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I would love to have had the opportunity to see those guys in their in their heyday. Without doubt, that would be something really special. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I was also thinking back to, we mentioned Agassi earlier, that, that, that incredibly emotional victory of his in 1999, I think it was, wasn't it, at the French Open, when he beat Andre Medvedev in the final, and the tears and uh, and so forth, when Agassi finally sort of, it was his complete renaissance, wasn't it, as a tennis yeah. player, after going down into the mid-hundreds in the world and so forth. Uh, I was, uh, here's a bit of a left-field one as well. Bobby Riggs against Billie Jean King in a match huh. of great significance in the 70s, really. Um, you know, Bobby Riggs had been so outspoken and and, um, and Billie Jean King took him on and beat him. And, and thank goodness she did. What a woman. Yeah, and what a day for uh, for women's tennis. Yeah, I, I second that. Good good left field entry, David. Oh, thank you very much. And for sheer quality, it has to be Nadal against Federer in the 2008 Wimbledon final. And probably Agassi against Sampras would be another one of mine at the US mm. Open sort of a, in around about 2001. I mean, they, yep. they had some matches that people probably forget a little bit now, but they were great, truly great. Indeed, yes, I uh, I agree. I w- I would love to be at any of them. Wouldn't it okay. be great to go back? Well, we will we will arrange uh, our. Uh, we'll, we just need to put a few final tweaks to our time machine that we're working on here uh, at the tennis podcast. And w- once we've got it fully up and operational, we'll be stepping in it and going back to enjoy all of these matches. I hope you've enjoyed uh, the tennis podcast in episode thirty-four. It's been it's been good fun, Catherine. Have you enjoyed it? Of course, every time. Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll be back next week, hopefully, uh, or certainly after the finish of the Miami tournament. We'll let you know on Twitter. And we'll be back with another big name interview. And we'll be talking tennis. And we'll speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 